few weeks ago, whenever I started talking to Pastor Chris about, uh, you know, filling the pulpit for him this morning, I, I shared with him that I thought, well, you know, it might be kind of neat to do something out of 1 John, uh, kind of as a little bit of an aside, since we're going through John together. And, you know, we look at a little bit more of the writings of him. He says, yeah, that's a great idea. And then a little bit later, he says, by the way, I, I think I'm going to teach on 1 John on Wednesday nights. So I went, oh, okay, well, uh, he says, but don't change what you're doing. Like, still, still go ahead and do that. And so, if nothing else, let this kind of be a little bit of a plug for Wednesday night. You know, and, and as you see, we're covering two chapters this morning. And so, kind of what we're going to do with this this morning is do a little bit of a flyover. Right, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, I took a trip up north to go to my cousin's wedding, and I flew into the town of Buffalo, New York. Never been there before, and so as we're flying in, I'm looking out the window and getting a lay of the land and being able to see what what that town, what that city is like. And so that's kind of what we're doing here with First John chapters one and two is we're going to do a flyover and we're going to dip down a little bit and touch on a few things. But if you really want to dive down into it and go verse by verse, then I would encourage you to come back on Wednesday nights at 630 and join Pastor Chris for that adult study that he's got going on. And if you've got kids, then we have Awana that meets at six and youth that meets at 630. And so there's something for the whole family to take and be a part of with that. So there's just a little plug for our our Wednesday night services going along with what we're doing this morning. So last time that that I preached, uh, I had a member that came up to me afterwards and they said, you know, I've realized that every time that you preach, we learn something new. You get up and you you confess something to us uh, at some point in the sermon. And, and so uh, I, I decided I would start off that way this morning by, by, with my confession. Uh, and so um, I'll tell you, this is a hard one for me to lay out for you guys, okay? Uh, I really don't like to admit this. There's, there's a dark time in my past. There, uh, there was a time in my past when I was a Cowboys fan, okay? Mm. Uh, those of you that know me, that's, that's not who I am any longer, okay? I don't bear that burden anymore. But when I was a kid, all right, I was living in this area, and all of my friends were Dallas Cowboy fans. This is the 90s, the height of their dynasty, and uh, they were everywhere. And so I enjoyed that. I got behind the fact that my friends were all Cowboys fans. I jumped in on that bandwagon. I didn't like Wheaties, in fact, allergic to just plain wheat, but when... Deion Sanders was on the Wheaties box. You better believe I wanted some Wheaties, all right? I was buying into this. I remember for my ninth birthday, my, I asked my parents for a plastic football Cowboys locker to use as my nightstand next to my bed, and I got that. I had T-shirts. I was, for all intents and purposes, a fan of the Cowboys, all right? But, you know, we're, we, we learned that, you know, when we're children, we have childish ways, and uh, we have... We have some uh, immaturities about us, and so as I got a little bit older and matured a little bit and learned about the ways of the world, I, I wised up and I became a Philadelphia Eagles fan, all right? And so I stand here before you today proud of that. Uh, and, but that was, that was coming up, you know, it, within my household, my mom and my dad grew up around the Philadelphia area, and so my mom was an Eagles fan, my dad a Phillies fan, and so Philadelphia sports was ingrained in me, and so that was something that you know, I figured was, was bound to happen. And again, I can stand here today and tell you I am a fan of the Eagles. I have jerseys, I've got t-shirts, I've got decor. I, I celebrate when they win and I mourn when they lose, right? I, I have no doubt that that is the tam- team that I am a fan of. But every now and then, I'll come across an old picture 
of me wearing one of those Dallas Cowboy t-shirts. Or I'll come across somebody that knew me back then, and they'll say, hey, remember whenever we watched the Cowboys Super Bowl, and my dad was throwing Wheaties in our, in our mouths whenever they scored a touchdown, and we were all celebrating and excited. And so those things come, you know, come back to my mind, but the question is, do, does that make me doubt the fact that I am an Eagles fan? It does not, because I know where I am, and I know what team I cheer for. And that's what we're going to talk about and look at this morning, is what John is intending to get across to his audience here. He's writing to two primary audiences. One is the believers, the Christians. And as he's writing to them here in this letter, what he's wanting to put across to them is the assurance of their salvation. You know, there are times that as believers that we look back on the life that we previously lived or we sin and we mess up and we question and we're concerned. And so John is putting across, here are the marks of a believer. How can we be assured of our salvation? And so, you know, I use this title, By This We Know, because that's the phrase that John uses there in chapter 2 that Pastor Aaron read for us a little bit ago. And so by this, we're going to know and we're going to see the marks of a believer. I told you there are two audiences he's writing to. So the first one is the Christian, the believer. He wants them to have confidence and assurance of their walks. The second is he is writing to the false prophets. He's writing to the counterfeit disciples that he is wishing to expose. And we're going to see that in the language that he uses periodically throughout these first two chapters. And so as we begin to look at this, what we want to keep in mind is that as a believer, we should walk away from this encouraged and seeing these signs in our lives. And if we are a professor but not a possessor of a walk with the Lord, then there should be conviction of these things in our lives as we read through them. So our three points, the three things that we're going to look at, I'm going to go ahead and lay them out there for you so you know them and you can be aware of what's coming. We're going to look at walking in the light. That's our first point. We're going to see walking in the light. Number two living by his commandments, and number three, loving one another. So starting off with, we're going to look at walking in the light. So John, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. John writes, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so what we see here is walking in the light. So the way, the argument that John is putting forth here, starting off with, he says, here's the message, God is light. So what does he mean by that? Well, he's talking about the moral perfection of God, right? God being the light, there is no blemish. There is no stain on him. There's no mark of sin. His character is absolute perfection. And along with that, then he says, 
in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him, then we are to be walking in the light, not walking in darkness. So he gives us that warning, do not walk in the darkness. And so as he's saying that here in verse 2, I'm sorry, in verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So when he's saying do not walk in the darkness, this is a lie of practice. So this is us living out in accordance to the world versus living out in accordance to God's word. So if we think about what light does, you know, I think about uh, in particular working at a high school, I think about teenagers and my teenage years and those of my friends. And, you know, in the mornings, you know, you're going through that time of life where you wake up in the morning, you turn on the light and you look in the mirror and, and there are blemishes potentially on your face. And so as you're looking at that, you then work to correct those blemishes, right? So God being the light, he is going to bring about the blemishes in our lives because he is perfection. However, with that, whenever we walk in his light, and this is the promise and the encouragement that John is giving us through this, he says, if we walk in the light in verse seven, as he is in the light, as God is in the light, then a couple things are gonna happen. And that is, first of all, that we're gonna have fellowship with one another. And second, the blood of Jesus, his son, is going to cleanse us from all sin, right? So walking in the light, whenever we talk about this, when we use this phrase, we want to know what does that mean? What does that look like? I'm, I tend to be a pretty practical person. I like you know, knowing where we're going with things. And so as we talk about this and we live this out, walking in the light, those are the two things that John is saying this is, is that we're fellowshipping with one another. Right? We are fellowshipping with other believers. We are gathering together with the saints. We're doing what we've done this morning. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. We're sitting under the teaching of his word together. And then we are encouraging one another through those things. And we're uplifting one another throughout the week. So we have fellowship with one another. But then, point number two, and this is where we're going to really kind of dive in a little bit here on this walking in the light, because we'll come back to the fellowship later, is that whenever we walk in the light, we are promised that the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. And so what does this cleansing look like? You know, we talk about, I talked about the, the blemishes. So John continues on in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you notice he takes a shift here. Previously, he said we are not practicing truth. But now he says the truth is not in us. So this is where he's looking to expose the lies, expose the, heret- the heresy of those false prophets. And so what is it that he's saying here? It leads to the truth not being in us. Well, that is that if we claim that we have no sin. All right, so he says, walk in the light as he is in the light. So walk with perfection. But even in that sense of while we are walking with God who is perfect, we cannot claim to be without sin. Because if we claim to be without sin, then the truth is not in us. And he goes so far as to, in verse 10, he says, if we make this claim that we have not sinned, then not only are we a liar, but we are making God out to be a liar. And so why is it that we're making God out to be a liar? Well, Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that there is no one righteous, not even one. 
And we know that we are in need of a Savior when we know that we are sinners. But if we believe that we are sinless, then we do not need a Savior. But the Lord tells us that we do. And so if we claim to be without sin, then we are making him out to be a liar. So we need to acknowledge, we need to understand, and we need to confess that we are sinners. And he lays that out for us in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. If you don't believe me, ask my wife or my kids. They'll tell you in a heartbeat. But one example that I think of, you know, in in a, a matter in which I tried to portray myself as being perfect is back in high school, I was, I was really, I was a good student, okay? I paid attention in my classes. I did, took care of my business, did my work, and was a high-level student. Up until my senior year uh, in one particular class, it was uh, government the first semester and economics the second semester. And I, I, I love the guy that taught these classes still to this day. However, I struggled to pay attention in that class, I often would daze off and look off to the distance. Uh, That's the first time I ever slept in school was in that class. Uh, But I I remember one time in particular, I was sitting there and just kind of looking off and thinking about who knows what. And the the teacher was was talking about something and then asked a question. And then he he goes, Paul? And I kind of snapped out of what I was doing. I looked at him and he goes, well, what do you think, Paul? I went, "Uh, the First Amendment. And he goes, this is economics. This isn't government. What are you doing? And, and so now the entire class is laughing at me, right? So I've taken this small little thing of not paying attention and made it into this bigger thing because I tried to cover it up. And so whenever we talk about our sin, whenever we take a small thing, you know, maybe we, we told a lie, maybe we wronged somebody, but we take a small thing and we try to cover it up and say, oh, no, I didn't sin. Oh, no, I didn't mess up. And we don't confess or we don't seek forgiveness from the person we have wronged. And more importantly, we don't seek forgiveness from the Lord for offending him. Then we are making him out to be a liar. We are saying that we believe in ourselves more than we believe in him. And so confessing our sin, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that we are acknowledging that sin is sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a weakness or a character flaw that is just briefly brought about, but we are admitting that our behavior is evil. It's accepting responsibility. We let go of rationalizations. We let go of excuses, and we accept the guilt that comes with that. When we have offended our Lord, we accept, we confess by acknowledging and then accepting responsibility and accepting the guilt that comes along with that. There is discipline that comes with that. There are consequences for our sin, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit as we move on throughout this. But the beautiful part about this and that John lays out for us is that when we confess, we have a promise, and that promise is that he is faithful and just to forgive. He will cleanse And so when we walk in the light, as walking in the light, we are fellowshipping with one another and we are being cleansed of our sin because of the confession and because of the saving work of the Lord. 
And so John is encouraging his believers again here by saying, by this you will know that you are a believer. By this you will know that you are a Christian is that you are walking in the light. And again, practically what that looks like is fellowshipping with one another and being cleansed of our sin. And so if those things are not occurring, if we are not seeking forgiveness, if we are not being cleansed, if we are not fellowshipping with one another, that's where John is laying out and saying, here's, here's the ex- exposing of that within the lives of the false teachers and the false prophets. So then continuing on down into chapter 2. This is what Pastor Aaron read for us this morning. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, point number 2, living by his commandments. And so as we read earlier, it reads, and by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So again, notice that language that is seeking to call out and to expose those false teachers. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the call here that John is saying is we can know that we are Christians. We can know that we are saved by the evidence in our lives that we are living by his commandments. Or to summarize in a different way, to know that we are being obedient to him. And so the way that his argument is forming here in verse 3 and and into verse 4, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. But if we back up to verse 3, it says, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So the question that I want to talk through and look at this in this passage then is, why would we keep his commandments? Why would we obey? And so there at the beginning in verse 3, it's laid out for us, it's kind of a both and. It's, we know that we know him because we keep his commandments, but also we're keeping his commandments because we know him. Right? It's, it's a both and in working with that. And so what does it mean to know God? Well, it's more than just having accurate information about him, okay? It is actually becoming personally acquainted with him. You know, if any one of you out there are, are journal keepers and you, you write about your day and keep up with those things, and whether we've met or not, if you handed me that journal, I could read that, and I could know a lot of information about you. But that does not mean that I truly know you. And so, in that same sense, whenever we think about what it means to know somebody, to become personally acquainted with them, well, that means that we have that connection, we have that relationship with them. And when we have that relationship with them, we are changed. Yeah, I think about the fact that I've been married for 14 years, and I am not the same person today that I was whenever my wife and I got married. I actually pay attention to wall colors and decor and things like that. That was something I never, never thought I would do. It never crossed my mind. And she, I wouldn't say that she's a football fan, but she knows about football, and that's probably something she never thought she would really be familiar with, right? We change one another. Even outside of that marital relationship with friends and other people that we know, when we know them, our lives are changed by that. I mean, for instance, Pastor Chris, if I didn't know him, then I may not have ever been seen walking through downtown Lufkin at 1 a.m. wearing a white t-shirt with the words Thug Life handwritten on them. So it's one of those things of being around people and knowing people, it changes us, okay? It has an effect on us. And so knowing the Lord has 
an effect on us. And it has to have that effect on us because as we just looked at in chapter one, he is perfect. God is light. And so knowing him means that we are being affected by his perfection. It means that those blemishes are being brought to light and we are being refined and being made more like him and more into his image. And how does that occur and how does that happen? Well, through obedience, through living by his commands. And so how do we know that we have a life that's marked by obedience? I'm sorry, how do we know that we know him? By having a life that's marked by obedience. It doesn't matter what experience there may have been at any particular point with the Lord. Without obedience, we're making false claims. And John lays it out and says that we are liars. And so knowing God leads us to being obedient to him. Then he goes a little bit further in talking about obedience. He says, more than just being obedient and living by his commands because we know him, well, we also do this because we love him and we have a love for him. And he lays this out and he says, but whoever, this is verse five, but whoever keeps his word In him, truly, the love of God is being perfected. So the love of God is being lived out in our lives. And so how do we know that we love God? Well, it's the same answer as how we know that we know God. We're obedient to him. You know, a lot of times we get wrapped up in love being described in love songs or with large, colorful language and flowery flowery language. Right? It's something that we think that has to have this emotion that's attached to it. But quite simply, Scripture lays out love as obedience. We know that we love him because we are obedient to him. You know, think about children. As a child, we show our love to our parents in being obedient. I hope my kids are listening to that. Um, Loving God, though, is a matter of obeying. It's not that flowery language. It's not the love songs, but it is being obedient. And then moving on, he goes down into verse 6. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so abiding in him, what does it mean to abide in him? Well, that means that we are living in Christ. As I was thinking about this and what it looks like and what it means to live in Christ, uh, I was trying to think about how to describe that. And in thinking through that, it kind of brought me to several conversations that I've had, not only with uh, believers, but also with non-believers in, in recent years. And when I say recent, I mean over the last 10 to 15 years. And the way that this is often described is as having a personal relationship with the Lord, right? You know, people may ask, well, do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? And, and here's what, what I think is a little bit bothersome about that kind of language is that we're not speaking of anything that can be verified. And as we're talking about this this morning, by this we know, we're talking about assurance of our salvation. So how we know that we are Christians, well, what can be verified within that? You know, how can we verify that we are abiding in Christ? Well, it's through obedience. 
And so when we talk about a personal relationship with the Lord, it should go beyond just saying, well, I have a personal relationship with him. You know, I could stand here and tell you that I have a personal relationship with chicken wings. But if I don't describe that, then that could take on a lot of different meanings. So when we talk about having a personal relationship with the Lord, we should be a little bit more specific. We should talk about the language of the cross. We should talk about atonement, about repentance, about it is saving grace through faith, not of the works of ourselves, but through the work of the Lord. It is forgiveness of our sins by him, and even just simply using the word salvation. So when we talk about that personal relationship, when we talk about abiding in him, we need to make that connection to obedience. And again, I think that some of that is on us in the way that we talk about this, and and John is calling us out on that. He doesn't say, you know you're a Christian because you have a personal relationship. No, he goes further and he says, you know you're a Christian. You know you have that relationship by these things, by walking in the light. You know you have that relationship by being obedient, by living by his commandments. And so John says that we know that we abide if we are obedient. And so then moving forward a little bit more into chapter 2. John takes it another step further, and I love where he goes with this one in talking about loving one another. And I like this because if we left it with obedience, I will tell you right now, my temptation would be to have a very legalistic faith, right? I'm, I'm a checklist person, and so I can say, well, I've done that, done that, done that. You know, if it's, if it's only about obeying the commands. I can read the Bible. I can find all the commands. I can list them out, and I can make sure I'm checking this off. But John takes it this step further, and he brings up loving one another. This is in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. He says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him There is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so he's calling his readers to love the brethren, to love one another. And so it's going beyond confession and beyond obedience and leading also into love. And as we look at at love and talk about this idea of what love looks like, I want to flip back and look at the perfect example of love. And for this, we're actually going to go back into, and I'm going to step on Pastor Chris's toes a little bit, John chapter 15. So in the Gospel of John chapter 15, we want to read what Jesus says about loving one another. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? We just talked about obedience and so and living by his commands. So here is a command, a commandment that he is giving to love one another. Then verse 13, he, he expounds on this a little bit further. He says, greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, so he's explaining what, what this great love looks like. And, and here's, I, I want to reread the end of that as we lead back into verse 14 here. He says that someone lay down his life for his friends, period, verse 14, you are my friends. Okay, you see where he's going with this? He's saying, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for one another, for your friends. You are my friends. But then he gives this caveat with that. He says, if you do what I command you. So Jesus is saying, I am laying down my life for you. We we know that because we know the end of the story. We know what happens with his life. We know he lays down his life for his people. And he says, you are my people if you do what I say. And so in 1 John, when John is writing this letter and assuring his readers of their salvation and wanting them to have this confidence in the Lord and in their walks with the Lord, he's not using his own words to do this, right? He's reflecting back upon the teachings of Christ. And he's saying, here's what we've been told Here's how we live, and here's how we know, and we can walk in that confidence. And so Jesus continues. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. You notice the commonalities in the language being used between the two, two sections? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Verse 17, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. And ultimately then we see through the story of Jesus, the love that he gave us in laying down his life for us. In bearing the burden that we deserve. He took that for us. And so the love that he has for his people, he is calling for that to be reproduced in the lives of his people. And so the question is, how can we do that given that we are naturally self-centered sinners? Well, it's only because our hearts are changed by Christ. When his love is poured out on us, we can then in turn pour out his love to others. Love is fundamental to the Christian identity. So how does this look? When he says, love your brother and you're abiding in the light, but hate your brother and you're walking in the darkness. So what does it look like to love your brother? Well, in practical terms, it means that we're caring for one another. It means that we're making ourselves aware of the needs of one another. We're befriending each other. We're bearing each other's burdens. We're serving each other. Love sacrifices. Love gives. Love reaches out. Love forgives. Love prays for one another. I know that I have people in this body that pray for me consistently, that pray for my family, that pray for each other. And that is encouraging, right? We walk through that. We know that we are not walking through this life alone. And if we go back to point number one, walking in the light, remember we said a way that we know we're walking in the light is by fellowshipping with one another. And so that fellowship includes loving one another. Love is quiet 
but its impact is felt greatly. You know, you may have heard or seen these things called Rube Goldberg machines. All right, so, uh, you know, this is, you, this is one of those things where you may start off with a, a, a line of dominoes on a table and you knock one down, and then that line of dominoes ultimately hits a ball, it rolls across the table and falls in a cup, and then this cup, you know, is on a pulley and it does something, and then ultimately after everything is done, there's a tidal wave across the world, right? So, you know, these, these things, it's one little action that can lead to something else being accomplished. And that's the impact that love can have. Simply praying for one another, giving an encouragement to one another through Scripture can have a huge impact. I remember one particular time I was in high school when there was a little bit of a, a conflict between uh, some, some people in, at my church in the youth group and some people at another church in a youth group. And it, it was affecting a lot of people in a lot of ways. And there was one particular day that I was walking out to my truck after school and my youth pastor happened to be on campus, which wasn't uncommon. He was around from time to time. And I saw him and I said, well, hey, what, what are you doing here? And, and he just kind of played it off a little bit and walked out to my truck with me and, and sat down in my truck for about five minutes, just asking me how, how everything was going, how I was handling things and, and prayed with me and then got up and got in his vehicle and left. And I had seen him get out of his vehicle whenever I walked out of the school. That was the sole purpose why he came. It was just five minutes of his life. And I still remember that 20 years later. It had a profound impact on me. I've seen the way that God's people can love one another. I'm standing here today because I've seen the love of the church The Lord used the love of the brethren to convict me and to draw me into his fold. And so love and loving one another is a sure sign that one is truly in God's light. And so here in chapter 1 and and chapter 2, John is laying out for us this confidence that we can have in how to know that we are walking with him, the assurance of our salvation, that we are Walking in the light. And that walking in the light, what that means is that we are fellowshipping with one another. We are being cleansed of our sin through confession. He says we are living by his commandments. We can know that we are believers by the obedience that is displayed to his commandments in our lives. Then he says we can know we are believers. We can know we are Christians because of the love that we are displaying and showing for one another and how we are living that out. But ultimately, Through all these things, these are not the things that save us. This is merely the evidence. The work has already been done, and it was not done by us. And John acknowledges that, and he lays that out for us. And in fact, through that, we need to remember that we are fallen and that we are in need of a Savior. So I want to go back to the beginning of chapter 2, right in the middle of these passages, where John writes, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right? So think about that statement that he's making there. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
Well, this statement comes right after he made the comment, if we say we have not sinned, then we make God a liar. So what point is John trying to make? Well, he continues on. He has this word at the next sentence there in verse 1. He says, but. I had a professor in college who told me that anytime you hear that word but, you need to take whatever was just said and make a 180 degree turn from it. So John says, but if anyone does sin. And really the way that I read this, the way that I think about this is not if anyone does sin, but when one sins. When we sin. Because again, remember, we are fallen. I've stolen this phrase from Pastor Aaron and I attribute it to him. I don't know if he actually came up with this or if he stole it from somebody else. I'll let him address that. But as a believer, we are still not going to be sinless because we are fallen. But we should sin less. Right? As we are being molded into his image, as we are exposed to the light and the blemishes in our lives are brought forth, and the Lord is refining us and making us more like him, we should sin less. We should be killing those sin habits within our lives. But we are still fallen. We cannot be perfect. We cannot earn our salvation. That is why we are in need of a Savior. And John lays it out like this. He says, but if anyone does sin, so when one sins, we can have the confidence in knowing that we have an advocate with the Father. We have one that can stand and will stand in the gap for us. And that advocate with the Father is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the one who came and lived the life that we cannot live. Being both fully God and fully man, he was sinless. And after living the sinless life, at the end of it, he took our burden. He bore our consequence. He laid down his life for his people. John says it this way, he is the propitiation. That is, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so as we think about Jesus and what he did for us, and you can even go back up into chapter 1, and this is where I would encourage you to come and attend Pastor Chris's Wednesday night's uh, Bible study because I don't have enough time to go through all this. I feel like right now, even at that, I'm kind of spitting at you guys like a fire hydrant. There's all kinds of information here. But you can go back up into chapter 1, and Pastor Dave referenced the Nicene Creed earlier. And the Nicene Creed, what, how that was formed was that the church leaders had met in Nicaea and were talking about the person of Jesus and who he was. And they came up with this creed, this statement that we sang as far as who Jesus Christ is. And through that, we see and we know in Scripture, it lays out for us that he is and was from the beginning, that he was the word. And through that, what we believe and what we have confidence in believing is knowing that God has atoned for our, our sin. He's atoned for our sin through the sacrifice of his son. And so what do we do with this? That's kind of how I always like to work towards a close is, where do we go and what do we do with this? Well, as believers, as Christians, we can be encouraged 
You know, I started off by sharing with you guys, you know, the dark time in my past and how sometimes those things, you know, I'd see a picture or, uh, you know, talk to somebody that knew me back then and they try to rub that in my face a little bit or, or bring up, you know, being a Cowboys fan versus now being an Eagles fan and try to call into question my fandom at this point in my life. Well, in that same sense, as Christians, it's not uncommon that when we mess up, that we carry that guilt when we sin and we reflect and we think, okay, am I a Christian? You know, I've got this sin in my life. Am I a Christian? Well, John is saying, look, if this is the evidence that's there, we're not going to be sinless. We will sin less. We're not going to be sinless though. And we can have faith and confidence in knowing of what Christ did for us. We don't have to depend on ourselves for our salvation. Because if we did, we would fall flat and we would never, ever have fellowship with the Lord in eternity. But through the saving work of what Christ did, in living that perfect life, in dying our death for us, and being raised to the right hand of the Father, we've been offered salvation. And the evidence of that salvation is played out in walking in the light in living by his commandments, and in loving one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter. We're thankful for the encouragement that you have given us through the words of John as believers to have confidence in our walks with you, to have the assurance of our salvation based on the evidence the fruit that you bear through us. And so, Father, for those in here that know you, that are walking with you, I pray that they would be encouraged. For any in here who do not know you, who have not repented of the sin in their lives, Father, I pray that you would convict them and that you would open their eyes to the need that they have for you in that we as fallen people are unable to do enough to live enough or to say enough to earn our salvation. But that salvation is a gift that is given by you. So we praise you and we thank you for that gift that you have given. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.